The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, Hopheads, and welcome to another sesh on the Hop4 podcast. The first time I ever went into a bottle shop with one of my beers, I was absolutely packing it. For our international listeners, the literal translation is that I was shitting myself. What would they think about my beer, my brand? Would they buy into it, stock it, promote it, and sell any? Thankfully, the bottle shop in question slightly bemused by the kitsch logo of Jesus welcoming people at the bar like he was Sam Malone from Cheers, took to it and became a big advocate. Bottle shops and off-license venues have played a big part in beer across the globe. It's one thing to carve out some time with a friend down the local pub or a bar, an experience in and of itself. But it's another to stand in front of the shelves or fridges and decipher which beers you'll take home with you and enjoy with your friends, your family, or even in the company of one. There are some great label designs and brands out there, especially these days, which often acts as the first point of someone's purchasing decision. I remember back in the early noughties when beers had names like Nobby's Nats and featured a Santa-like character with a boozy red nose drinking a pint of something brown. It's a far cry from the artwork today that could easily adorn a can of beer as much as it could the walls of the Tate Modern. Bottle shops are the gatekeepers of modern beer. The owners and stewards akin to the vinyl junkies who work in record stores, who know which bands to listen out for, and pedal records you'd never dream of buying, but take home and relish and experience over and over again. But as discussed a few episodes back with Dave Haywood from A Hobby Place, are bottle shops becoming an endangered species due to the COVID-19 pandemic? Now breweries are selling products online. Do they even need bottle shops to thrive? And for the ones that do, how should they approach potential new business customers? What are some of the basics when it comes to onboarding a new shop with the fruits of your labour? These are a snapshot of the topics along with discussions about trends in beer, spirits, wines and cider that I discussed with today's guests on the Hot 4 podcast, Richard and Jenna from Real Drinks in London. If you cast your mind back to September 2019, 
I know it's not easy, COVID, pandemic, time warp and all the rest of it. I paid a visit to Tim Dolan and Nick Payton from then Real Ale Limited in Notting Hill, which you can go back and listen to, and discussed even back then some of the topics we discussed today. But in light of the pandemic and their subsequent rebrand, which I feel at least had an emphasis and focus on the online market, I was keen to catch up with the team and ask some questions that I felt were relevant to 2021. Before we hop into today's episode with Jen and Richard from Real Drinks, I'd love to take a moment to tell you about how you can find out more about Hot Forward, our sponsors, and how you can get ahead yourself in the brewing and beer business. Not only is Hot Forward a brewing industry dedicated podcast, but we also provide creative media solutions and consultancy for companies and people who are looking to get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward works with a range of diverse enterprises from across the world of beer to provide branding and marketing consultancy, brewing and business advice, and bespoke creative solutions to help you hot rocket your way to success. Check out hotforward.beer for more info or connect with us on social media at Hot Forward Beers. Finally, don't forget to thank our sponsors who make the show possible on a weekly basis. The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt a great river in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plant, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. So before we jump into today's episode with Jenna and Richard from Real Drinks, I've got something really, really exciting to tell you. I'll do it all of it. We've got to do all of it again. I was, that was that was rubbish on my part. You're the. I'm meant to be the professional. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. I couldn't organise a piss and a brew if I tried. So, on that note, this is Darren from the Industry of Tap. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Good. So um, we've got an exciting announcement to make, haven't we? Definitely. So on Sunday the 12th of December at the Industry Tap, we're putting on Emmanuel's Hopes and Beers, which is a uh, beer and carols again. So are you excited? Definitely. I mean, it's been sort of two years since the since the first one. Uh, a little global pandemic got in the way last year. So uh, yeah, it'd be really, really good to bring in that celebration at uh, this time of year when sort of bring, bringing people together uh, with beer. So yeah, looking forward to it. Awesome. So details are going to get fleshed out with timings and stuff, but there'll be beers, um, which I'm brewing at the moment as we speak. Um, there'll be singing <laughs> carols it'll be Christmassy and there was food last time wasn't there yeah do you um, still have that pizza oven or is that gone I, I, I still have the pizza oven um, may bring the pizza oven 
back, I might have to cook outside because I believe last time it, it looked as if you'd uh, been on stars in your eyes at some point. Cool, so there'll be food. So yeah, uh, you're all invited and what's your handle so people can find out on social media where you are and all that so stuff? So Industry Tap Sheffield is uh, the Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And then you can find out more at uh, hotforward.beer or emmanuels.co.uk or follow me on socials at Hot Four Beers and Emmanuel's. So looking forward to it. Yep, definitely. Should be good. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Richard and Jenna from London's Liquid Delicatessen Real Drinks. Hello. Hello. Nice Great. to see you. I'm um, good, thank you. How are you guys? All good. Oh. Yeah. Back, back to back to being super busy now. Restrictions are eased, I would imagine. Yes, so it's been super busy all the way through, oh, actually. Right, right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but different in different ways. Yeah. What 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 sort? I'll never stop. <laughs> what sort of ways has it been crazy throughout? Well, gosh, yeah. Well, COVID obviously when it first hit um, was it about eighteen months ago. Now it really had that stark effect on you know all businesses up and down the country, but ours particularly. Um, we had a huge increase in uh, people wanting to have um, products delivered to their doors. And so that was really um, uh, where we saw like 2000% growth <laughs> in, the, in what we were doing there in those initial months, taking um, beer, wine, spirits, whatever people wanted to their doors. And uh, so that was a bit of an adjustment we had to make. That's continued a little bit, but uh, it's eased back a bit, obviously, yeah. since the pubs have opened. Well, well, we'll touch upon that in a little bit. But um, f- first of all, are you able to both introduce yourselves and what you do for real drinks and how you got into the drinks industry in the first place? Sure. Shall I start? I'm... Yeah, okay. Um, I'm technical director here at Real Drinks and I've been here for seven years now. Um, I've actually been in the brewing industry for 24 years now. Right. I'm a master brewer, started at Green King as what we called then a lab rat <laughs> and um, gradually moved through the brewery, project brewer, brewing shift manager, then moved to um, what was then Budweiser at Mortlake Brewery, which isn't there anymore, and uh, packaging. And then ultimately um, sort of started to use some of my experience to um, become a consultant and help breweries specifically um, improve their compliance and food safety and the integrity of the products that they're producing. Um, And that's how I came to Real Drinks originally, and we've just sort of grown um, my knowledge has grown exponentially since I've joined Real Drinks into other sectors um, uh, that we now produce as well. So that's a little bit of me. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so you'll um, you'll know Francis Brace, I would imagine? I do, yeah, yes. Okay, yeah. I know Francis so, Brace. <laughs> yeah, Francis on the podcast um, a couple of weeks back. So. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. She's great. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. What about you, Richard? Yeah, well, I'm uh, an account manager here at Real Drinks. I've been with the company now for just over seven years as well, actually. Um, Started off um, my occupation here under the kind of retail banner, working in the shops, uh, predominantly the Twickenham flagship store, uh, when we were just one shop back in the day. Um, So, yeah, a little while ago now, uh, when the kind of the whole scene was very different in terms of kind of craft beer and and where we were at, Uh, then moved on into working on the kind of the the local wholesale uh, offering, Mm. uh, 
we we supplied to various local businesses um in in the kind of west london area as well as working with events in the local area as well and then began managing that side of the business which uh, yeah long story short has actually led me into the kind of account managing uh side of working much more closely with breweries that i have been doing for uh, a good few years now and worth working much more directly with the multiple retailers that we work with to get beers on their shelves happy days bro so um yeah the last time i visited um one of your shops uh i can't remember which it definitely wasn't the twickenham one um made of ale new notting hill <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. It was um, it was a while back. Um, it was in 2019, around this time in 2019. I, I, I went to talk to Nick uh, there. I really wish I could remember which which one it was. Um, it, it was a biggish one. It was um, Notting Hill, Goldbourne Road, and the smaller one, Formosa Street, and made a veil. Mm, define bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I should have well, done my research a... before I came on. <laughs> I don't know. I can't I can't think in um I suppose twice the size of the Twickenham store. Okay. And with a downstairs part as well. Yes. There seems to be like a it was almost like a beer cellar type vibe downstairs. And I was like, ooh, this is a fun room. Made of ale, I think. Yeah, that's probably made of right. ale. It was quite cozy downstairs. Yeah, it was. Okay, so I'll right, just yeah. say for argument's sake, it was made of ale. It might not have been if we go back and listen to it. Um, but I, I went to do a, a podcast there with Nick and um, you were called Real Ale Limited. But you've right. uh, you've changed your name since then and had yes. a rebrand. So can you guys talk a little bit about the thinking behind that and the um, d- diversification into other fermented beverages? I mean, I'm aware you did like um, real contact wines and stuff back then anyway. Um, yeah. but I, I, so I guess it kind of makes sense for the name to change, but could you, could you just talk yeah. about that process? Yeah, I suppose that's kind of how it started really, um, was actually we were, um, selling and, um, having contacts with suppliers who weren't just real ale. And of course, real ale, um, made sense in 2005 when Nick started the business um, because that was very much what was the um, phrase that customers were used to, real ale, and so people knew what they were getting when they came to the store and that very much was what they were getting, bottle-conditioned beers. Um, and actually, you know, as we all know, the market has moved on hugely and so we've moved with the times in terms of what we sell at the shops now recover everything from wines through to you know ready to drink cocktails seltzers spirits and so real ale didn't make so much sense and we felt that actually some customers couldn't quite figure out what we were doing and so not only for customers um who may have been coming to our retail stores, but um, some of our wholesale customers. So grocery customers would also be like, oh, well, I thought you only did real ale. So why are you coming to me for this brief for seltzers? And uh, so so it made complete sense. And um, so, yes, that's why we made the change to real drinks. Great. And um, how have you found people have taken to that brand? Yeah, very well. I think it's been an easy transition for, um, you know, regular customers and uh, uh, grocers that we work with because they're like, well, yeah, that makes sense because we've known you for a while. And yes, of course, you're doing more than ale. And um, 
And for new customers, I think it just lays it out for them a bit more clearly mm. and, um, you know, rolls with the times a bit more. So Great. Well, today on the show, I wanted to explore um, customer drinking habits and um, focus a little bit more on beer because it's a beer-related podcast. Um, but, you know, dip into um, ciders and wines and other things and um, the process of purchasing beers and, and selling them to consumers. But I guess the first question would be, I mean, especially in like the pandemic, how, how have you seen people's drinking habits change over the last 18 months? Like what people drink, how much they consume, how they purchase it and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think the most obvious one probably, Nick, is everyone started drinking indoors. They started drinking at home. Mm. I mean, it just completely drove the need for convenience uh, retail. Uh, you know, you needed to have uh, almost overnight convenience became, you know, that kind of ultimate value proposition for suppliers and producers alike. And really, if you didn't have online platforms, whether it's web, sh web shops and social media presence, then it was a struggle and you need to, needed to think really, really quickly and, uh, you know, focus all your attentions on uh, having those kind of businesses. And yeah, so people just wanted beer to their door. I think as Jenna kind of uh, alluded to earlier, uh, needed to get beer to consumers because that's, that's where they felt safest. And if, if you weren't buying kind of online and at home, then shopping became, I remember just last, this time last year, even going to your local supermarket, it was like a war zone mission. You know, not to, not that I've ever lived through uh, a, a war or anything, but you really had to kind of plan and, and think about where you were going, how you were kind of navigating your way to the shops and your way even around the shops. And so buying, you know, format wise kind of multi-packs, certainly. Um, so lar and larger format drinks, uh, 440 mil, certainly in craft beer isn't exactly a newcomer, to, but to multiples, that's really, really grown. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, multi-packs and, you know, large format, has been really key. Right. Because, I mean, you guys um, supply to Marks and Spencers, don't you? Um, yeah, so one of the grossest. Have, um, have, have they been quite keen to take on 440 mil cans? Yeah, 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 certainly. They, um, they, they've got on board with uh, launching a really, really nice uh, a branded 440 mil range mm. um, and soon to go with, if, I can say that uh, an own own label range, so their own white label uh, for forty mil beers. Um, so yeah, they, they they're grasping it with both hands. It really does seem to be the future. It's not going anywhere, you know. For forty mil for kind of uh, you know convenience, but also value for money. Uh, that's what consumers want at the moment. That's what I want. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, certainly in our kind of in our three stores, the uh, probably sign of the time or the, the best sign of the times is that only three years ago, maybe four years ago now, we had um, about kind of 
four or five individual brands, individual lines that were in 440 mil cans and everything else was 330. Mm. And now it's completely the other way around. You know, we've got four full fridges in pretty much all of the stores of, of 440 mil cans and and uh, maybe one fridge for 330 yeah. and maybe less in a couple of couple of the stores. But uh, yeah, the, the, that format shift has certainly come around um, in the multiples now as well. Yeah. And how do you find um 330 mils selling now um but both in can and bottle um i'm just i'm just quite interested whether particularly in can now everything tends to be in a 440 mil can whether they're harder to shift in that size and obviously unless it's like a 10 percent whatever because you know that, that i think they just shift regardless of size but yeah i i think um i think in terms of you, you kind of mentioned it there, it works for certain styles, hmm. definitely. If you've got um, some kind of uh, outrageous sours uh, that you don't want a four forty mil can of, something that's you know crazy, crazy sour or ludicrously fruity, or as you say, like a, a ten percent maybe imperial stout or something like that, three thirty still really, really works and they they sell quite well. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're not exactly seeing those breweries that only do 330 kind of left behind. There are still some, uh, where it works for them, but really it's, uh, it 440 is driving the market at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Jenny, it sounded like you were about to say something as well. I was just going to say that I think people are also, um, treating themselves spending a little bit of money uh, you know that was part of the, uh, you know the, we couldn't go out we couldn't do anything and treat ourselves in that way so people were um you know thinking oh i'm going to treat myself to something special <laughs> and spend a little bit more more money on um you know a beer that they might want to try and uh, those sort of um higher alcohol more interesting flavors things that you know people maybe have not tried before would um would embrace that a bit more, I think. During, I certainly did. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> during the lockdowns. Yeah, well, it was easier to kind of um, stumble home to bed, so to speak. Quote, yeah, quote, exactly. You know, it's only up the stairs or in the next room rather than like being out in a bar in the middle of town and having to negotiate your way on the tube and then yes. uh, down the dark streets of wherever, you know, back to yes. you and find the keys and get in your house and all the rest of it. Um, but I mean, I'm interested just um coming out of um lockdown and restrictions now the uk at least is back to something resembling uh normal now like how people's purchasing behaviors have changed or what, what's endured what do you think will stay around what went quickly back to the way it were what you know different drinking habits well i think convenience has really stuck right. in terms of um uh, people wanting to go out and maybe make people are still wanting to make the most of that opportunity where they go out and buy something. So multi-packs really, you know, if I could buy a four pack or something that, you know, you like people are going to do that. And um, so certainly all the, the retailers have been um, embracing that. Um, and uh, so that's something I think um, what we've seen really grow it's not in the beer, but certainly in the RTDs sector is um, obviously 
the way that cocktails were, you know, bartenders really had to diversify the way that they ran their businesses. And they either um, looked to put their own cocktails in cans or used all sorts of different ways of getting cocktails to um, people's doors. And I think in a way that has um, provided a real explosion in that sector of the drinks industry that I think we're going to see growth on growth in years to come because um, that's an area that um, people really, consumers really embrace. Um, so that's probably what yeah. I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting about cocktails. I mean, I'm not really a cocktail drinker. The last cocktail I had, I was probably about 18. Uh, um, used to serve at the um, Lowwoods Working Men's Club. <laughs> that, that's, as, oh, yeah. that's as classy as it got where I grew up. Um, a, a BMW, which was a, a Bailey's Martini and Whiskey. Um, you know, once I'd spent most of my pocket money on pints of Tetley's <laughs> or whatever, you know, I'd, I'd go on to the harder stuff. But I'm just interested <laughs> for um, people that make and then sell cocktails, if they're using other branded ingredients like Bailey's, for example, um, or Malibu, um, you know, how, how that works in terms of putting it in a, a package is, I mean, is that always that no different to if I use crisp malt or, you know, hops from Charles Farham or whatever um, in a, in a beer. Yeah, I think um, for some of the smaller um, craft producers, you know, not making a huge amount, they, they might be, uh, producing some of their own spirits or working with other craft spirits. Um, but, uh, but yes, I haven't seen any, for instance, where, you know, obviously the big guys have got the market on their own, um, yep. sort of, <laughs> so, uh, so yes, yeah, so you, you will see, um, Diageo and, you know, all of those guys putting out more of the RTDs cause they've realized that that's, so they've, they've I don't think they'll allow anybody else to use Bailey's in their cocktails, but there probably is a bartender out there making the most of that and sending it to his local neighbourhood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So as, as a retailer of alcoholic drinks, um, what sort of metrics are you keeping track of? Um, I mean, obviously cash is probably the main one but um, and sales, but like what, what metrics are you keeping track of to monitor how successful certain brands like your stock are and, and what products to to then stock in the future? And I, I guess both from a retail point of view and, and an online marketing point of view. Yeah, well, I think for our retail stores, um, each of them has their own sort of strengths, I suppose, dependent on where they are mm. and the neighbourhood around them and um, who they're actually have a, a very strong beer in all and strong wine in all, but actually some tilt more to wine or beer or spirits than others. So so in um, Maida Vale, is a very large uh, volume of wine and... Um, so, so each store is managed uh, based around really what the customers want. And um, so uh, Mike manages um, a very large beer selection in Twickenham, doesn't he, Rich? Uh, and, um, and Notting Hill seems to be a, a, a good balance of both. But um, And it, it, they're very much all three of our retail stores are knitted within the community and so very much sort of local stores. So it's really feedback to the managers and the assistant managers directly themselves. And um, But yes, there's always the front runners in the industry and whoever's making some interesting 
um, products at the time that, um, you know, Jack, our social media star, will be uh, talking about on on our platforms, but um, and they will be available across the board. Um, so yeah, that's probably. I think another thing to add to that is um, the buy, the buying habits and how people buy from the different shops mm. and how that changes. Certainly, there's um, yeah, there's a, there's a different percentage split between uh, wine, beer, spirits uh, between all three of the stores, but also there's a very large kind of percentage split between um, it. The likes of Twickenham, a lot more people kind of walk in on foot um, and uh, it's either they walk in on foot and they grab their, their produce and, and shop and browse the fridges uh, with with a bit of online sales. I know for a fact that places like um, the shop in Notting Hill, there's a huge appetite for delivery there. So uh, there's a lot of, um, again, direct consumer sales uh, I think I put my money on that being one of the largest like driving forces to kind of shape the industry going forward over the next de- decade is just getting getting things to consumer um, with as little fuss as possible. Mm. Mm, yeah. I mean, you could potentially see uh, breweries and producers alike. There might be brands launched in the future where they only do direct to consumer. I mean, that hasn't happened yet, but in the future, that that might even be a thing. The way we're going, yeah, or the way uh, certainly the pandemic has kind of forced things to go to a certain extent. Yeah. That that could happen. Certainly, yeah. to their local community, a lot of breweries started doing that and then just realised, oh, this is great, going to carry on. <laughs> mm. But I mean, how does that affect a business like yours? So I was talking to um, Dave Hayward from a hobby place, which is a small bottle shop based in Windsor. Um, on Saturday when I hooked up with him man- in Manchester. Um, and he was saying that um, that move from breweries and other drinks manufacturers to basically sell direct to consumer and cut out the beer retailers will actually harm the industry because it's, it's, the, um, it's the people like yourselves um, and Dave and others who are essentially become like the salespeople for particular yeah. brands. You know, I know I've been to my local bottle shops in Sheffield and I might say, oh, you know, what new breweries should I be checking out or new beers or, or even there's, there's one just down the road from me where I'll walk in and um, Jason there will, you know, he'll just call me straight away, like, oh, have you tried this Saison? Have you tried this? It's amazing. You know, nine times out of 10, I'll, I'll buy it just on the base based on the fact that he's selling it to me and I trust him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if if breweries do start completely and solely focusing on this direct-to-consumer model, I mean, how is that going to affect companies like Real Drinks? It's, it's certainly a challenge, but we have always uh, kind of prided ourselves on our customer experience. Right. People yeah. walk through the door and it's just... You know, uh, the guys, uh, everyone in all, in all the stores are so good at yeah. s- discussing, you know, what and getting eking out from people, what they like, what they yeah. don't like, what they want. Got some real you experts can, there. You, you can't replace that face-to-face uh, human interaction and that human experience. Um, so, I mean, myself from a personal, and I know uh, a lot of other people, you want to you want to be speaking to people rather than the machine, 
So hopefully, hopefully long may that continue. Yeah. I think it's also that the, you know, the market is changing. So we've got to adjust to that. So we have to then, there's plenty of breweries out there who, who won't have the capacity to deliver direct. And so we, we, it's up to us to go and find them so that we can then bolster our, um, you know, contacts for the for the customer to get excited about. Yeah. Because, yeah, okay. so that's another challenge for us. But that's okay. It's always changing. Well, I guess that, that leads me nicely <laughs> to my next two questions. So when a brewery, a, a cider maker, a, a winery approaches you with their products, like what, what sort of things are you looking out for and, and what helps you as a retailer decide whether these products are right for you to stock and sell or whether it's maybe not the right fit? Taste, 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 taste. Got to taste good. Right. <laughs> Always about the taste. I mean that, yeah. I mean, that's where it starts. And um, yeah, that's the first thing we do, isn't it, Rich? Taste the product and uh, go from there. Get samples in, taste it. Doesn't really matter, especially for our, if we're talking about our independent stores, uh, the three shops, it doesn't really matter how small you are at all or um, or how big you are. Um, we've kind of nurtured and fosters brewery, fostered and nurtured breweries, sorry, that have literally been brewing in a garage, in, in a shed. And they've come to us with some, some bottles back in the day or maybe cans that are completely unlabeled and walked in and gone, what do you reckon? And uh, if it's good, and they can stick a label on it, we will sell it. Yep. You know, it's then it's about nurturing that that relationship from you know going from their the producer's infancy to to where they want to fit in the market and uh, kind of going on that journey with them. Um, I think it's just it's, it's what we've always done for the last sixteen years, yep. um, and what we'll continue to do. Okay, so give it given that this is a beer focused show, right? What's the the right way um, for a brewer to go about pitching their beers to you, and what's the wrong way of them uh, of doing that? I, I, I suppose <laughs> taste your product before you give it to us. Yeah, make sure it's <laughs> make yes. sure it's not going to explode in our faces. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the voice uh, of experience speaking. No, but that sounds crazy, doesn't it? You'd be surprised how many samples we get. We think, oh, we're not sure they tasted this before they sent it to us because it's got some off flavor or something's not right. You know, it sounds so simple, but it really is so important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let, let's say I walk in with some of my beers in in can. Um, like I know. Um, Jim Cook from Samuel Adams Boston Lager used to literally walk around with um, a little cooler in his, uh, where he'd have it in his car and then he'd get the cold beers out and he'd insist on, and he'd bring glasses as well and he'd open them there and then to get them to try. I mean, um, because I would imagine a, a retailer like you just gets absolutely loads of samples of beer to wade your way through in 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 the same way that um i don't know if this happens so much anymore but back in the day when you used to send your demo tape as a musician to an uh, you know the nr person at parlophone or wherever and it's just like yeah just chuck it in the demo bin you know um like do do you work through those samples should, should they be following you up like if you know should they be professional in the way they say oh you know don't feel you have to try this now but i'll i'll contact you next week to find out what you think or arrange a day like what are some little tips for not i guess not just for the people pitching to real drinks but to their local bottle shop in order to 
basically get into that conversation and maybe get their beer stocked because there are so many beers and breweries out there, but this is a limited amount of shelf space. Well, I was just going to say, you know, sending samples and um, basic things like following up with an email with your contact details on. You'd be surprised how many um, emails we get from people where it doesn't have a phone number to phone somebody back on. (laughs) It always surprises me. So sometimes you just want to pick up the phone and have a talk with someone about the beer that they've sent. And uh, so that would be, um, so taste the beer before you send it. Send us an email with your contact details and, um, and we can give you some feedback straight away. Um, on the product or you know where we think it might fit now or later or um, what we think we can do with you yeah just just to add to that what really goes a long long way is uh, someone from from the brewery I don't know if, if if they're of a certain size certainly want someone from sales down or if it's just you know yourself a garage uh, and your dog just coming down to one of the shops and chatting and as soon as we kind of feel that genuine passion that goes so far if it's a if it's a phone call and you send some uh send a case of beers on the back of a back of a lorry down to us uh and then they're more likely to sit in in the corner of our (laughs) in our own garages you know or our, our warehouse um and, and not get touched for a while. And it, it's, again, harking back to that that human experience yeah. um, and relating with one another uh, and forming that kind of that bond and that, that genuine passion that we all share for beer and other drinks. Yeah. I think it's, it's, that's one of the most important I things. I think that is. I think you've hit it there, Rich. That's that's the, the main thing, isn't it, is for us to understand why you've created what you've created and to understand the story behind it a bit more so that then, you know, if we do go forth together and uh, sell your products, then we can then, you know, tell the customers about that. So that that story and that experience of, of your product is really important. Yeah. And I guess just one other question off the back of that then. So I know I've been into both, both you know, on, on license and off license um places to sell my beers before um and the the challenge sometimes can be hitting the right time of day because it's like you know you you walk into a bottle shop you've got um three different beers to give them to them but then like you, you start you strike up a conversation with someone there and before you know it customers come in and then you stood around and it's all a bit awkward and so on is is there a, a better time to catch people to have that kind of conversation I was just thinking uh, mid-afternoon tends to work quite well. Not when uh, the, the, the guys and girls are first opening up. Um, certainly not lunchtime or the evenings, really. But I don't know. Each shop's different. And uh, I'd have to ha- have to let the retail guys answer that one, really. it's uh, Yeah. It's probably, probably worth a phone ahead, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Phone ahead and make a little, you know, 15 minute meeting slot kind of thing. Can I come and see you? I'm really excited about what I've made. Awesome. Brill. Um, so what, what are some of the trends you see in, in beer in particular at the moment, uh, both in styles and purchasing decisions? Um, and what do you think is driving those trends? Ooh, good question. Um, where to start? I mean, lager? I'd love to say that 2022 is going to be the year of the lager. 
Yes, it, we've been waiting a long time. <laughs> it, it seems so strange to say because, you know, I don't know, at least 70, 80% of all world beer sales have to be lager. Mm. Um, and obviously in America, you're going to get a huge chunk of IPA there, as you do here in the craft scene, certainly. But um, breweries, especially craft breweries here in, in the UK, I mean, their, their proficiency in making great lagers has improved exponentially over the last couple of years and it's just growing and growing and growing and i don't know if 2022 is going to be like lager with a massive exclamation mark or anything but it, it does feel like it's coming with the likes of utopian making incredible uh kind of czech inspired mm. pilsners uh new barns doing an um, amazing pilsner up in leith um those guys they're just knocking it out of the park with their their beers and i think yeah i could go on and on you know name dropping people who are making fantastic craft lagers but really it, it could be it could be the year for the lager, 2022. You heard it here first. Yeah, you probably didn't hear it here. First. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been talking about craft lager for for years. Ah, oh, this this yeah. year, this year. Then it's you know actually, you know, it is exciting. E- Utopian seems to come up every week on this podcast for some reason. You know, it's and with with yeah yeah. You know, I was talking to John Keeling earlier today, um, and he he brought them up. I'm pretty sure they came up in a discussion. Uh, with Dave Hayward from Hoppy Place recently. And it's, um, yeah, you know, it, it just goes to show that there's a real thirst for it. Definitely. Yeah. There's also nowhere to hide from a technical perspective. You've got some really de- delicate flavours there and that you need to manage through the whole process from the start to the end through to, you know, packaging. You need to protect those um, protect those lager flavours. So Yeah. I always think that sort of sorts sorts people out. If they can get a good lager going, you know that their 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 quality processes, their cleaning processes are very very good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and what about some of the other trends when it comes to other drinks like spirits and ciders and, and wines and things? Can you just talk us through um, where those drinks are at at the moment? Uh, again, I'm, I'm, when it comes to beer, I know a lot. But when it comes to other drinks, I'm complete and utter yeah. novice. So. There's been a bit of a, um, I mean, my my experience is that there's been a slight shift from wanting very sweet sort of flavoured um, spirits, cocktails or what you drink at home to we're developing our more savoury side. So, um, you know, Negronis and, um, you know, margaritas and uh you know espresso martinis and a lot of some would say that you know we're developing the more savory side of our taste buds because people are eating healthier and then therefore that that side of your taste buds are, are more excited by those most savory flavors there's there's more um certainly uh comfort flavors flavors that um you know we wanted to be really cozy during lockdown and i think that's kind of continued over the last um, year where, um, you know, people seek out flavours that maybe they uh, had when they were younger <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so sort of comfort flavours and spirits and, um, but also some really 
yeah, just some, there's a lot more innovation, I think, in spirits coming through again with the craft, more craft side, um, craft side of those, uh, that part of the industry, people producing some very fantastic flavored um, vodkas, for instance, mm. that you might want to make a um, Chilean bacon Bloody Mary with. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, I think people just become a bit more experimental um, about what they'll have a go with. So that's kind of opened those people who are making those products, uh, you know, provide that for them. Mm. And what about um, cider? Because um, last, I think it was about last December, um, I was on a um, Zoom call with the Guild of British Beer Writers. It was after the the awards uh, they did online because obviously it wasn't in person. Um, and it's interesting because we, we were all talking about beer. Then someone brought up cider and all of a sudden it was like everybody's eyes lit up because it's like kind of when you write about beer, it's kind of becomes your day job and it becomes quite the norm. But it kind of felt like cider had this excitement and buzz around it in the way that craft beer did maybe in 2011 to 2015 um so what what's happening with cideries at the moment and do you, do you think we'll again a bit like craft lager we'll see that revolution of of um artisanal ciders being made and produced more yeah i mean there's there's certainly been a rise in artisanal ciders i, I think one of the one of the guys to kind of really kick that off in this country was Tom Oliver and yeah. Oliver's ciders. They're f- fantastic. And, and there's been, you know, various others since. And I, every, a bit like uh, calling 2022 the year of the lagers. I mean, every year, I think this is going to be the year for ciders for the last five years, uh, especially in our shops. Um, and we've got a fantastic uh, side of range. Um, really, really exciting products. But uh, I don't, I don't know. It, it seems quite slow. This this kind of um, rise in insiders in and that kind of consumer desire to to pick up various ciders. And I don't know what's going to be the catalyst or when it's going to happen. But there, there are, as you say, some really exciting things happening in cider. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very much, it still seems very much kind of um, on the periphery and, and fairly, fairly niche still. Yeah. Uh, a little bit like sour beers were for, for a while, you know. I think people get excited about sour beers or wild ferment beers generally get excited about ciders too you know you can um and uh and the likes of natural wines and and whatnot and we have a lot of those customers come into our independent stores certainly um but when when ciders are going to make the kind of the the booming leap that craft beers have certainly done and uh you know rtds and and spirits are kind of doing at the moment the the jury's still out. I'm yeah. waiting for that day with bated breath. I wonder whether it's an image problem for cider um, because I, I don't personally think cider lends itself to the kind of, um, how can I put it, you know, cartoon cans of skulls and whatever, um, you know, that. That's interesting though because, I mean, Umbrella 
I think they've actually the ones, they've got a very interesting branding on their cans. But I think you're right, you know, some of the sort of bottled ciders are um, quite old school in a way, aren't they? But um, there are a few brands who are doing bright, bright branding Mm. and uh, pushing that. I think the the correlation between um, like sour beers and, and mixed firm beers and cider works well um i mean i i'd not had cider for ages and then um i tried uh tom oliver's one of tom oliver's for the first time at a brewing market in twickenham um incidentally and and i was blown away by it because i was like this this kind of tastes like a sour beer it had the smokiness and that kind of funk to it but obviously it was a cider and it tasted like cider and um i was like i could i could happily drink this kind of drink all, all night, you know? Um, and I think, you know, in a nice bottle and all the rest of it, I think it would lend itself better personally than having something that's in a bright jazzy can. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I guess it that comes down to um, how people perceive the drinks that they're purchasing as well and the packaging they're in. Um, and I guess I'd be interested to know, I, I guess from a, a predominantly from a beer perspective like when people are coming into the shop or perusing on your website um do you you ever see any correlation between how it looks and whether someone makes the purchase of that particular thing that question makes sense i know i do that sometimes (laughs) buy something because it's got a pretty label (laughs) um so i think you know it's some some of that for some and some for others but um yeah, I think some things do pop out more to different consumers and, you know, certainly the beer um, design label industry is a whole um, section of art in itself mm. that, uh, um, you know, has just been quite breathtaking the way it's moved in the last, uh, you know, decade really. Yep. So, um well, it's like it's the new like record sleeve, isn't it? Totally, yeah. It's phenomenal. And what's been fantastic is actually seeing, you know, the artists being credited as well, you know, when they have created something amazing. So they're really um, knitting knitting designers together with breweries and, um, and, and it does pop out to those who are interested in that. Um, so I think it's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that just um, as mentioned before that there is definitely that correlation um, in kind of purchasing habits that you can see online between those that are purchasing the the more funky mixed firm uh, beers who might be well they are the adventurous kind of consumers that are going to reach out for those those uh wilder ciders um and and those those kind of drinks i think consumers as a whole are certainly those that are buying kind of craft products they're becoming more um susceptible to being kind of more adventurous and um and yeah just uh having give giving things a bit of a gamble. There's a bit more trust, I think, nowadays, over the last couple of years, that if you, if you see something on the shelf, um, whether that's kind of online and web platform or uh, uh, or in store where people can actually lead you through it in our shops, then, um, yeah, there's a bit more trust to kind of go for it and mm. make, that, make that purchase. Yeah. I wonder as well whether that's because the quality has gone up. I was just going to say, yeah, I think it is. 
Yeah. And I think there's a recognition within all the drinks you know, industry that actually you can't get away with um, putting something out now that is a bit dodgy. It just won't. Do you, your customer or your you know, brand any good? You need to make it right first time. And um, so I think there's a lot more effort going into producers, making sure that they are you know, adhering to their own quality standards and cleaning regimes and all the likes of what can stumble you in um, you know, getting that product as you want it to taste. Yep. To the customer. So yeah, as I was talking to John Keeling earlier today, um, which you can, for our listeners, can listen to in last week's show, um, we were talking about how um, first and foremost, he, he often refers to like um, brewing being like the balance of science and art, but he was like, yeah. you have to have the science down first before you can yeah. make the art. Um, Definitely. Because I remember getting into a bit of an online scuffle. Uh, for want of a better word, with a brewer who um, had produced a particular beer that I tried, and it tasted quite skunky. I, I, I would imagine that was probably because it tasted like the 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 hops had oxidised, right? Um, and he'd used old oxidised hops in this particular beer, cheesy hops. Yeah, so <laughs> it, you know, and it was a like a, a red rye IPA. So the, the the addition of the rye and this particular skunky hop variety that I age just it wasn't a good combo and um a bottle shop near to me were promoting it and i waded in just and i don't normally do this and i feel in some ways quite bad retrospectively but i waded in and made some comment and then he he messaged me uh privately huge tirade about you know you killed the conversation you know i'm just i'm uh two barrel brewer trying to make it and so on. And I was like, look, you know, I work in the industry. Like, you know, I, I am, but I am the consumer as well. And I don't know how big your brewery is, you know, and, and therefore I'm going to take it at face value. And, um, it, you know, it is tough as a brewer. Like I know I run mm. a, a, a one barrel setup, um, and I brewed the other week the one of my pumps broke. So the beer that I was intending to be 6.5% because of the way that um, I ran the mash off too quick, it ended up being 4.1%. But then mm. the bittering hop addition was too high because I, I first worked hopped it, which is where you put the hops in as you're filling up the brew kettle and it's way too bitter. So now I've got, mm. and again, I've got the luxury of only having like three kegs. I'm like, I'm not sure I can sell this. It's way too bitter. You know, mm. it's, so it's, in some ways it's a bit of a pain in the ass that I've spent a few days in total that I'm going to have to pour beer down the drain or, consume it myself i'm not sure that i can get through 60 <laughs> liters of it but there you go um but you know it's like i wouldn't have thought about that several years ago i'd have been like i've spent the money particularly when i i, I worked at the sheffield brewery company which is a 10 barrel brewery i'd be like I've, I've brewed this i have to sell it um mm-hmm. whereas even now if i was still there i'd be like i can't put this out because it'll just do more damage to the brand than it's worth exactly yeah yeah i think brewers are i always no, go for Sorry. It. No, go for it. I was just going to say, I think um, I always talk about that uh, if you want to be a brewer, you better like cleaning because 95% of what you do is actually cleaning. And yep. um, and also, you know, reproducing. And, you know, you sort of referred to it there and what you're doing on your, on your piece of kit, you know, being able to understand which elements that you need to get right every time to make sure that the product is how you want it to be every time and where you can play and where you can, you know, um, change things and have a bit of fun, but um, within your own boundaries. And and I think that's really where um, 
the industry has come on hugely um, in the past probably seven years, let's say, um, substantially in that uh, the quality of the products that we're seeing in our stores is just uh, much more consistent. Yep. Well, I can definitely attest to the 95% cleaning because that's what I spent <laughs> 95% of my time doing on the, the particular day that I kegged this beer, cleaning yeah. up all the dry hops, Lurie. <laughs> great. Bro, well, it's been great to have you both on the show. Uh, I guess one last question before um, we point this in your direction to buy beers and check out the shops. Um, but what, what are your future predictions for the drinks industries again mainly beer but happy for you to comment on other drinks as well um where, where you see the industries going i think uh the point you guys just made just now continued consistency uh, in quality of product um focus on a focus on core range now that the British uh, UK craft beer market and other drinks markets aren't so much in their infancy. There's going to be a lot more importance put on, um, you know, knocking it out the park with uh, core beers that you can deliver to customers all the time um, at that consistent high quality. It's going to be really, really important going forwards. Um, I think you're always going to have uh the wacky the wonderful uh the, the omnipolos of this world you know let's not beat around the bush they are the willy wonkers of beer <laughs> um and and that's that's always going to be there and innovation and you know trying something new is is always going to be there and it's great especially for you know um more kind of uh really niche craft beer lovers who are wanting to do bottle shares and um and at festivals as well but i think what's what we're seeing already and certainly over the last year or so and definitely going to continue into next year is just letting simple ingredients shine Mm. working with um not every brew is going to just cut it completely back to the basics but working with those particular ingredients to get you know optimal flavors and uh nuances and subtleties out of these fairly basic but wonderful ingredients i think it's going to be a really really big trend for the next next few coming years i'd like to think um because i i like my beer to taste good and and it has been over the last few years and it's been you know a lot of a lot of beers a lot of uh huge flavors out there a lot of uh sweetness but let's see what we can do maybe or breweries can do should i say uh maybe without so many adjuncts uh, and whatnot hmm. and see if you can get get the flavors out of it don't get me wrong like I love a New England IPA. I, I, I like a milkshake IPA. Pastry Imperial Stouts are great. But it's where do you go from there? And I think if you're going to talk about IPAs as a trend, which seems kind of ridiculous because when are they not on trend? You know, they're, they're always on trend. But the next place to kind of go from there is if you take a New England IPA, which has had all of the full body fruit flavors um the kind of the soft uh the soft bitterness to it is maybe introducing back some of those more traditional west coast hops as breweries have been doing 
Uh, I think over in the US, they're, they're coining the phrase mountain style IPA. Oh, yes, I've come across this. Yes, mountain they're, IPA. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, I feel like UK brewers have kind of been doing that for the last couple of years anyway, is, is taking that New England style um, with the kind of the low IBUs, the low bitterness, and then just using the kind of fruitiness of the yeast, but then using some other hops that maybe aren't the citrus, Simcoe, Mosaic, Azaka, uh, Galaxy, um, and, and playing around with different hops. As brewery is always going to do, but I think with IPAs, subtlety and nuance is, is going to become a lot more important yep. over the years. Um, or over the next year yeah. or so. Well, I, I have to chime in there. Um, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times, but um, Buxton Brewery have recently released a beer called Brit Hop, which is a yes. uh, Jester, Alacana, possibly Harlequin, basic yeah, British hop IPA. And it's it's fantastic. Apps. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the fact that they've got those kind of, the best analogy I can give, and again, apologies for the listeners if you heard this a few weeks back, um, but the best analogy I can give is um, if you think of Citra and Sabro and Mosaic, and et cetera, as being like uh, Nirvana live at Reading, um, Jester and Olicana are a little bit like Nirvana Unplugged. <laughs> you know, like that's that's a little bit what, what, what this beer is like. It's like a rounder, softer version of something that's normally quite spiky and, and forthright and aggressive. Um, and I, I, I know I personally would love to see more beers like that. And just as you were talking about mountain IPA, I'm, do you know what? I might go and trademark various different sort of IPA terminologies, like you know, that <laughs> northern IPA, southern IPA, and so on. Just so if someone comes along, like and makes a beer, you know, I, I can I can sue their ass. <laughs> we're going to have it all for marketing purposes, aren't we? Yeah. yeah there's all kinds of IPAs coming out, but it, it's hopefully not going to be just limited to IPAs and, and it isn't already. You're seeing uh, that happen throughout the styles with Imperial Stouts as well. It's just, it, let's just practice with the malts. Let's, you know, have a really, really nice uh, multi Imperial Stout that is an Imperial Stout. And, you know, you, you, these beers that you can drink them, and, and they might taste like they've got cacao nibs in and uh, maybe even uh, coffee beans, vanilla, the, the rest of it. But you can, you can pretty much get that just with malts. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so just letting kind of key ingredients shine. Yeah. Like, well, again, yeah. just to reference Buxton and Omnipolo, um, the beer that was formerly called Yellow Belly, you know, which um, had that sort of peanut biscuity taste, but it didn't have any peanuts in it. And I remember yeah. the first time I tried that and I was like, how on earth have they got that flavour in this beer if it's got no peanuts in it? You know, in, in, insanity. So it's obviously yeah. it's possible, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Brill, well, it's been amazing to have you both on the show. How, how can people obviously check out Real Drinks and visit the shops and find out more? Well, we're on all the platforms. If you want to follow us on social media, that would be great. We'd love to see you there and um, come along to the shops and um, come and visit the teams there in uh, Twickenham, Maida Vale and Notting Hill. We're on we're online on our website. You can catch the addresses on there. Um, that's probably the best way to find us. Brilliant. Thank you. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Jenna and Richard from Real Drinks. We noticed at the end of recording that podcast that I forgot to say what the website address is if you want to find out more about Real Drinks or go order some beers. So if you head to realdrinks.co.uk, you can go uh, order some beers and wines and spirits and all kinds of other fermented beverages from them. Or if you want to pay them a visit, they've got uh, shops in Twickenham, Maida Vale and Notting Hill. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. Cheers.